All right, good morning again, and um, it is a blessing to be able to be with you today. It's also a blessing to be able to walk around. The first service, I was stuck to the pulpit mic, and uh, whew, I can relax a little bit and, uh, and feel a little bit more natural as I go about today's uh, sermon. Uh, I did uh, make a confession to the first service, and I will share that with you as well, uh, which has uh, been, been an interesting week uh, this past week, uh, very busy. Uh, kind of an overwhelming busy, and uh, I'm much more composed at this point in the service than I was in the first service, Uh, and so I'm hoping that today's sermon, which is going to be in two parts, uh, will uh, make sense to you, and uh, what I would like to do now is what I actually did in the first service, is actually stop and just pray for God to just superintend over the moment. See, I'm, I'm hearing something different, so hopefully you're hearing it loud and clear. But um, I'd like to just ask for God's intervention uh, to speak through me uh, and to actually work in your ears and your heart as you listen. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time where we can look into your word and also consider how to live out your word. And I pray, Father, that... Uh, What I say will not cause anyone to stumble. It will not confuse. Uh, And Lord, I pray that you'd prevent that. But Lord, in the event that that takes place, Lord, I pray you'd work in minds and hearts of people to process what it is that we're talking about. And and Lord, ultimately uh, ask your will uh, in uh, in this discussion as we look at a grace and truth discussion again. Lord, I, I thank you for this family. Uh, for the unity I see in it in so many ways. Um, but, Father, we, we have not arrived, and so we just pray, Lord, that you would unveil to us the, the areas of life and ministry that still need to be brought under the subjection, uh, under the subjection of the cross. Understand that everything should be filtered through that uh, for your glory. Lord, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, this morning what I like to do, this is, this is cutting in and out on me. I, it's going to drive me nuts. So is it cutting out or no? Okay, because every once in a while it just, I can hear, I sense it. I just want to make sure, tell me, I'll go back to this mic. It just did it again from my hearing, but I know what I'm saying. You, maybe you don't. Okay, so we're in this uh, other study of uh, No Other Gospel, a study of Galatians. Uh, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2. We've already covered chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be just looking at these first 10 verses. As we look at these 10 verses, what I like to do is cover them with the context of we're going to be looking at two churches today, the, the, the church in Galatia and the church here and now. All right, so we're going to just walk through this text. Um, and what the main idea I want us to consider this morning is that no other gospel unites God's children to live as citizens of his kingdom. I don't know if you consider yourself a citizen of God's kingdom here this morning. When Jesus came on the earth, he announced the kingdom of God is at hand. He was the king and he is walking on the, in the midst of his own creation. And so therefore, when the king is here, the kingdom is here. Uh, but it's not the kingdom that necessarily those, were, those of his day uh, when he walked the earth were expecting. They, were, they wanted a physical kingdom where they could rule and reign over all the other peoples of the world, uh, when Jesus said, no, my kingdom is not of this earth. It is of a future time. And so we know that we are citizens of a kingdom that has not been fully realized yet. 
If you call yourself a Christian, then you're calling yourself a child of God. And if you're calling yourself a child of God, you are a citizen of his kingdom. And we could go to texts of Scripture, such as Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, and we can, we can observe principles and, and uh, commands that, that we can incorporate into our life so that we can live like citizens of the kingdom. But I, for our purposes today, all I want us to point out is that no other gospel unites God's children to live as citizens of his kingdom. If you're, if you're trying to live as a Christian, in air quotes, through some other means than what Scripture teaches and than what we're going to be looking at today, then you, you may be following a false gospel. It's only the true gospel of Jesus Christ that enables us to live now like citizens of this kingdom, which will be fully realized in the future. So we're going to look at two churches to help us understand the power of the gospel in the lives of God's children. I hope you consider the gospel powerful. If it has redeemed you, right, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Son of God. I hope you believe that. He was the the person of the Trinity that created all things and sustains all things. And he came as a baby in the manger And he lived among men, and he lived a sinless life. And then he hung on that cross. And we talk about the person and work. The person of Jesus Christ, he is deity. He is God in flesh. But then we talk about the work, the what he did that no one else could do. He died on the cross of Calvary. And when he hung there on the cross, God placed all the sins of all people of all time on him. And when he died, he paid for the, the, the curse of sin. Because Scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that, that, that gift is only received by those who recognize that Jesus is God's Son in the flesh who paid the sin debt on the cross for their sins. And I hope that's true to you, for you today because when we talk about the power of the gospel and the lives of God's children, you become God's child no other way but you can live a life of power, not your power, God's power. And sometimes that, that power that God bestows upon your life will be seen through the, through the most mundane of experiences, through the fewest amount of words. As you come along a brother or sister in Christ and offer, offer them uh, uh, consolation for something that's going on in their life, a word, a gentle word of rebuke, And we see that God will take those words that are anchored in his word, and and God will take that and it will cause fruit to come into the life of that person. Because we believe as we're in this series, this theme of the year, Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. It is only because we're a child of God. It's only because the power of gospel has been experienced by us that we can see that power go forth into the lives of others. So Christ in us reveals Christ to our community I hope that's a passion for you this year and from this day forward. But listen, we're going to look at two churches. The first church we're going to look at is the church in Galatia. The church is, really, it's multiple churches. But as Paul is writing, there's some things going on, which he covered in chapter 1. And we're just going to pick it up. I'll, I'll pause where necessary to explain some connection. But we'll just go through here again. It's already been read for us. 
But it says, then after 14 years, remember, Paul is, is writing to a num numerous churches, and he's saying, listen, you have questioned, though there have been some false teachers that have come into your midst, they're causing trouble. They have questioned my apostleship. They have questioned my gospel. And I'm telling you right now, I, I am no secondary, I, I'm no uh, uh, second-class apostle, and I do not have a different gospel. It is the one true gospel that was revealed to me directly by the person of Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, listen, I, I experienced this, this uh, uh, on the road to Damascus where Jesus appeared to me. I said, after I came to faith, I, I didn't run to Peter. I didn't run to Jerusalem. I went off into Arabia. And for three years... He did whatever he did, but he was, I'm sure, studying, comprehending, growing in his understanding of the gospel. Uh, and there's all kinds of things. But he didn't run to Jerusalem. It said, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. I'm sorry, after three years, he went to Jerusalem and met with Peter for 15 days. But then after another 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation. This is important for us to understand. Paul, as he's continuing to explain his apostleship and his gospel to the Galatians and how he's saying, listen, uh, I, I went up again. It was by revelation of God. There was something going on where God uh, uh, gave a direct revelation to Paul to say, listen, you need to go to Jerusalem and there's some things that need to take place there. So you go. And Paul said, I went and I took Titus with me. And I communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. These, these troublemakers, these false teachers are coming in and they're saying, no, Paul's second class and Paul's gospel is not a real God. It's not the gospel of Peter, James, and John. And so Paul says, by revelation, I go up and I'm going to find Paul. We don't know. We don't know. Did Paul have confidence that the gospel that he preached was the same as the gospel coming out of Jerusalem? He would expect it to be so, but he knew his gospel was of Christ. And so he went there because these troublemakers were coming, supposedly coming out of that church in Jerusalem. And so God sent him up there. He communicated to them that gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles. Notice he did this privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might, uh, sorry, I already highlighted that, that I might run or had run in vain. He said, I went up there. It was very serious business. Are we, are we on the same page? Are we on the same team, church in, in uh, Jerusalem? Because this is the way I'm running, and I don't want to run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This is where we see the tension that existed within that church at that time. Uh, there were the, these troublemakers were saying that in order to be a Christian, you had to follow the law of Moses. Yes, come to faith in Jesus Christ, but you still have to observe the law. And Paul is saying, no, that's not what it's supposed to be. Circumcision, as we understand this, was that manifestation, that physical manifestation of one's covenant position uh, in, in the old covenant. Not the new covenant, the old covenant. And, and Paul is saying, no, we're under the new covenant. Circumcision is not a thing anymore for us. Not that you can't practice it, but you don't have to practice it. It is not a must. It is not an additional requirement to the grace of God. He's saying, listen, I went up to Titus. Titus was a Gentile. 
Titus was not one raised in a Jewish home. He's a Gentile. He was not circumcised. And he was the object lesson, in a sense, or, or the test case for this meeting in Jerusalem to see would that church in Jerusalem compel Paul to have Titus circumcised? And we're seeing right from the, right from the get-go, Paul reveals the end solution, uh, the end result of this. He says, he would, not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He was not compelled. That's good news. That means Paul's gospel and the gospel of those in Jerusalem were similar, were the same. He says, and this occurred because, again, these false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Let me just back up, because I don't want to skip over this. I didn't highlight anything here, but listen. By stealth, to spy out. This was not a haphazard attempt to to bring trouble into the church. These are people that are searching things out. They're trying to figure things out, and they weren't being up front. Their yes was not yes, their no was not no. They were coming in, and they were stealthily spying out. What were they spying out? The liberty that Christians have in Christ. The second church we're going to look at, which is us in a little bit, I think will fall underneath this aspect of this text. Do we have liberty in Christ? Do we have freedom in Christ? Have you ever felt a liberty, a freedom within your, within your faith, within the expression of your faith that you felt others were trying to smother? Have you ever felt like your, your genuine expression of joy and worship was somehow being called into question as if it was not genuine? Paul is saying there's a liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. And there were those that were seeking to bring us back into bondage. It's a strong word. Paul's given to strong language in the book of Galatians. Let those who would profess another gospel be eternally condemned to hell. He said that in chapter 1. He says here, they're trying to bring us into bondage. Uh, I believe later on he's going to say, they talk about circumcision. I wish they would emasculate themselves. Paul is not one given to lighthearted uh, uh, interaction. He, he is recognizing what the very, uh, what's at stake is the very, sent, the very reality of the gospel lived out in people's lives. He said they're trying to bring us into bondage. But he says, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul is writing to believers. He's saying, listen, these troublemakers, we never gave them the time of day. They're wrong. But some of you have been confused by their words, and, and we want you to understand, don't you give them any time either. You can trust in the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, verse 6, but from the, uh, those who seem to be something... Whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. So Paul uses some terminology here that I'm, I'm going to just touch on lightly. He talks about those of reputation, some of reputation. There are people that think he's being sarcastic and being kind of uh, putting people down. I'm a big fan of encouraging people. Can we think the best of others? Well, let's think the best of Paul. Maybe he wasn't putting them down. Maybe he was just simply saying, 
I think they might have been of reputation. I don't really know them. Or he might have been saying something else. Well, they thought they were of reputation when they really weren't. Uh, but either way, he's saying none of that matters. What he says here is that God shows personal favoritism to no man, to no woman, to no child does God show favoritism. We use the terminology, the ground is level at the cross. What do we mean by that? You can come to the cross of Jesus Christ, which is, again, an empty cross because our Savior died and was raised again. But you can come to the presence of Jesus Christ and you can confess your sins, no matter how vile they may be, and you will be forgiven. Don't think of yourself more uh, as, as lower than other people because somehow your sin is of a special nature and therefore others are better than you. No, people are not better than you. We are all the same. When we come to Jesus Christ, we are all the same. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And if you are a sinner in need of a Savior today, we ask you to come to faith in Christ. Paul says very clearly that God shows personal favoritism to no person. For those who seem to be something, adding nothing to me. And what he's saying here in the context of the passage, he's saying, I went to see if my gospel was the same as their gospel, their gospel was the same as my gospel, and apparently it was because they added nothing to my gospel. Not that they would have had the authority to change anything he said anyway. He received his gospel from Jesus Christ himself. But we can rejoice in the, in the knowledge that as these Christians got together with this tension in the air, they were able to work this out for God's glory. And he said, they added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, he's equating himself and Peter, which is okay. He says, for he, speaking of Peter, who worked, effect I'm sorry, he who, who is speaking of God, who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, that same God also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Paul is once again establishing my apostleship is not some second-class apostleship. My apostleship has the equal authority in everything, the same as, as Peter, uh, as John, as others. And it says, and, and, and with that similarity, with that sameness, he says, and when James, Cephas, also speaking of Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, when we met after 14 years, you know, getting caught up on things, and they realized God had been doing an amazing work in Paul's life and ministry. When they, they realized that this, this grace had been, and had been uh, given to Paul, right, this grace of God given to Paul, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Now, I'm not saying it looked like this. I don't know. Maybe it was a high five. I don't know. But it was the right hand of fellowship. It was the idea that they were in unity. There was no tension anymore between them. It says that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. In other words, they wished their blessings upon Paul and Barnabas said, go. And I'm sure Titus, go. Promote the gospel wherever God sends you. It is the power of God unto salvation, Paul said. Go, take the gospel. It finishes off, said, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. And, and that is a beautiful thing. That the, the, 
One idea is that the poor, certainly it's the poor of the world, but in this context it was, it was the idea of the poor in Jerusalem. There was, Jerusalem was the central focus of the church. Uh, they were ex- experiencing great persecution. And, and certainly Paul did remember that because on his third missionary journey he, he gathered uh, monies, uh, uh, offerings, and brought them to the church and gave them to the believers in Jerusalem to help them survive and, and, uh, and continue to worship uh, their Lord and Savior that way. So as we go through this text, we see Paul's visit confirmed both his apostleship and his gospel message. Uh, and we see the results that were threefold, right? First, and I've already kind of stated it, but we'll see it here. Church leaders were unified in their beliefs. There was only one gospel for the Jews and the Gentiles. Secondly, church leaders were unified in their practices. Nothing is added to the gospel. Not circumcision, not a certain way of living, not a certain expression of this. It's the gospel plus nothing. It's the gospel, the grace of God bestowed through what Jesus, who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And thirdly, we see the false teachers were identified and the church was protected, edified, strengthened. There is any number of words that we use to describe this. We see that as a result of these first 10 verses in Galatians 2, these things took place. And Paul was just establishing the groundwork for the Galatians of his day, saying, this is true. The, the tensions, however, that existed in the early church still exist for us today. So I think we can draw some, some aspect of this into our day and age. And so that's what I'd like to do. Uh, I'd like to say, first of all, I don't have slides for this, but there are still theological differences. They had, they had to come to unity of belief between the, the different groups of apostles. Uh, we have theological differences which threaten the unity of the capital C church today. The, that church that is the genuine church of believers, there are some theological differences that exist today. And, and so genuine children of God disagree with one another yet they are able to agree on the foundational beliefs, right? What foundational beliefs do we have? And I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I can say we have the five solas, what's called the, the solas of the Reformation, which, which explain that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And so we... Maybe you're a student of the Reformation, maybe you're not. But these are times through church history where different uh, beliefs were being brought forth. And, and for many, many years, there was a, uh, an organization, I will say, that added things to the, to the Word of God, added some teachings uh, that mixed them in with the gospel, and it confused a lot of people. And there was a point in history where some, some, some people came to an understanding, that's not what the Bible teaches. And they eventually... Uh, codified, in a sense, these five solas. Uh, and so we can understand that salvation is by grace alone. We don't do anything to earn salvation. I hope that's something that you know today. It's not, God is not looking upon you and saying, oh, you know, if you had just walked that little old lady across the street, you would have made it. Oh, if you had just done this little extra thing, you would have been okay. But as a result of you not doing that, I'm going to condemn you to hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel is by grace alone. It's God's unmerited favor. He's giving it to you. It's free for the reception. 
through faith alone. But you must come to faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ. As I expressed at the beginning, Jesus is the Son of God. All authority has been placed in, uh, with him. And therefore, we are called to respond to that. And we must come to faith that in what he accomplished and only he could accomplish on the cross of Calvary. We also, I think, also have to come to an understanding of the faith that he's returning. He's returning to bring his church to himself and so many other things to include judgment of those who do not come to faith in him. But it's in faith alone, in Christ alone, which I've kind of already, I kind of melded, melded together, as revealed by Scripture alone. We don't add anything or subtract anything from the Word of God. False teachers will do that. But it's to the glory of God alone. Those are essential characteristics of our faith, and we need to own them and understand them. So as we consider the tensions that existed in the early church, they had theological differences. Uh, they had false teachers. We have false teachers. Going to point three. These people will either add or subtract something from the gospel. You want to know if it's a false teaching, a false gospel? Just understand person and work. They'll be deficient on the person or the work of Jesus. I, I, I will not say it again. I've already said it. But if you have questions, if something's a false gospel, please come talk to me or one of the other pastors or some that you trust is, has been walking this road of faith for a while in Christ. And ask them, is what my gospel, is what I'm believing or what I'm being told to believe, is this accurate? And then have us take you to Scripture because that's the final authority. Church history has, has seen false teachers say that Jesus was only God but not really man. They have said that God was, uh, uh, Jesus was not really man, but, but he was God. There have been some that have said that, that Jesus became, became God. He was not God from eternity past. They'll say that this gospel of that this is a gospel of grace, but they'll add something to it. They will teach error in some way in regarding to the clear teaching of Scripture, and so the false teachers are out there today, and we must beware of them. And they will infiltrate our churches as they infiltrated the churches in Galatia, and they some will do it with intent, some will do it with ignorance. And we pray for the ones that are uh, doing it with ignorance that they would come to a true understanding of the gospel and be saved themselves by sh for sure. But we, we deal with similar issues. There are still differences in practice, sitting in that second one there. Church leaders were unified in their practices. Nothing was added to the gospel. Well, in our day, there are still differences in practice which, which threaten the unity of the church. We're not dealing with the practices uh, that they were dealing with in terms of and the, and the severity of it, but I do think that we are dealing with some differences and practices that have to be addressed. And this is where I think that we have to engage in a, in a, in a, a, a segue, and I'm segueing to the idea of how we live out our faith in our culture. It's a big discussion today, folks. It's a big discussion for us to understand. Are we able to be Christians in our first world Western American society? Are we able to do the things that we have been called to do in our culture? And I think Scripture says very clearly, yes. Just as those who are in an underground church in China are free to live out their faith in their context to God's glory. A lot of differences between us and the, and the, and the underground church in China and other churches around the world. But differences nonetheless. 
So we are threatened by unity within the church. I'm talking, again, again, capital C church. Uh, There are genuine believers that will differ uh, in mode of baptism. Is it sprinkling? Is it immersion? Uh, We're Baptists. We understand what we believe, right? But genuine believers believe differently. There are differences in meaning and the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Exactly what, what constitutes, what, where, where is Christ's presence in the, in the supper? What, is it, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that they are not believers, but we differ. There are differences in the belief of the structure of the local church, you know, how it's polity and how the different aspects of worship. The one I like to focus on, though, is how the church engages with the world's culture. That's the one I would like to engage in. So from here on out, I will say, listen, we have to ask ourselves, do we embrace the culture completely? We, as 21st century believers in Merrimack Valley Baptist Church, are we to engage the culture completely? Are we to reject the culture completely? Or in some sense, are we supposed to engage with the the culture to the glory of God? So I believe that the church is called to engage with the world's culture for the glory of God. And since we're talking about the glory of God, uh, I think we can rule out participating in any sinful actions or activities, right? I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there as a caveat, right? I'm not saying all things go. I am saying that as we engage with the world's culture, we can do this for God's glory. But we are not promoting sin, sinful practices. We're not engaging in those things. We also can rule out engaging in the, uh, and actually I left that up there so you could, you could consider it, but that's it. So since it's for God's glory, we can rule out participating in sinful actions. We can also rule out engaging with the world's culture to only satisfy our own desires. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, we are products or, or we have been formed partially by, by the culture that we live in. And, and there are things that in our upbringing, our life experience, our family history, all those things are kind of part of who we are. And if we're not careful, we will not be engaging with the world's culture in a way that glorifies God because we're just doing it the way we like. That lacks discernment. That lacks intentionality. We need to be people who are engaging in the world's culture in a way that glorifies God and not just satisfying the way we like it. And that's gonna, that, that can touch on many areas of what we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes. So with all that being said, let's just go ahead and take a look at, at uh, Merrimack Valley Baptist Church as the second church. And this is obviously not anchored in Scripture in the sense of a text of Scripture. We're looking at ourselves now. We've looked at Galatia. Now let's look at ourselves. How do we engage the world's culture? And if you read the family happenings, I know I, throw some of the, I threw some of this out there, but just quickly, we can, be, we can look at culture and say there's Christianity and culture. Two separate, distinct things. And if we just talk about them that way, then they will always be separate, distinct things, but we will never understand the relationship that is supposed to exist between them. Let's talk about, so we can look at Christianity apart from culture. Now we're talking about Christianity and culture. And in a sense, this is what we're saying. Let's keep Christianity over here. Let's keep the culture over here. 
Now, some of this uh, is manifested in, in uh, as Joe reminded me, I think it was Joe that reminded me, the Amish might be an example of this and other, other groups like that. They are trying to live apart from the culture. They want their Christianity to be very distinct and very, uh, very it's, it's here, it's now, we live it, we're doing it, but we want the world's culture outside, let's keep it outside. We'll continue to drive our buggies. We'll continue to use uh, all this other stuff, which are still cultural artifacts. They were created in time, in space. At one point, the wheel was a novel idea. All right, a cart was... But again, for their purpose, and I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying this is an example of, of their faith being lived apart from culture. But, you know, we don't have to look at them and say, wow, wow, isn't that backwards? I think we have to be careful because we might functionally live this way when we come here on Sunday and this is church, this is our Christianity, and then we go out into the world and our, our Christianity is never experienced, it's never portrayed. I grew up that way. Church was Sunday. The rest of the week was mine. And I hope that's not your approach today. I kind of doubt it is, but I'm, I'm just saying this is a reality that, li- that lives out there. Let's talk about how we engage our, our world's culture, Christianity in culture. Now, this is beautiful. This is beautiful because we actually get to bring uh, aspects of our faith right into the open for everyone to see. At the very end of this, we'll, we'll just revisit Matthew um, uh, 5.16, right? Let your light so shine in the world that when men see it, they will uh, see your good works and they will glorify God. Right? So that's, that's the idea. But Christianity in culture is something I think that we can celebrate. How about culture in Christianity? What does that look like? Well, that means a little bit of the world coming into to our midst here. Is that okay? Well, I think so. Are you enjoying the air conditioning right now? Are you enjoying the padded pews? You may not be enjoying the, 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 uh, the amplified noise or the, the wiggling screen every once in a while, but I'm enjoying the fact that you can hear me and I don't have to strain my voice. Are you enjoying indoor plumbing? Well, not at the moment. I get that, but it's here if you need it, okay? All these things are beautiful, and we can celebrate them. And, and I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit more. But we can talk about culture in Christianity. We are already allowing culture into our Christianity. We're already doing it, and rightfully so. The question is, what other areas of culture are we allowed to bring into the church worship? And are we allowed to exercise in faith and understanding that it glorifies God? Those are the questions we have to ask. Culture apart from Christianity really isn't the church engaging the world. It's the world keeping us apart. Culture apart from Christianity is the idea of, no, we've, we've got it figured out. Church, you stay over there. Christianity apart from the culture, not really working well. Culture apart from Christianity really doesn't work well. So for that being said, we can say the primary aspect of what we can celebrate, celebrate is Christianity and culture and culture in Christianity. And these are the two areas I'd ask you to write your questions about for Wednesday. How can we as Christians engage with our culture the glory of God? How can we as Christians allow culture, the world's culture, 
Not that sinfulness and all that stuff. We've already talked about that. But the genuine culture within the world, how can we allow that into our Christianity that also glorifies God? How can they live in unison? So we can celebrate our Christianity lived out in our culture. I've covered a lot of this already. I decided to just deal with it then, and I'll just walk you through these points. Um, But we can uh, live out our distinctive biblical teachings and principles. We talked about that. We can celebrate the Christianity of others lived out in their local culture. This is a little different nuance, right? We can celebrate the Christianity of others. I can, here we can say we can, we can celebrate our Christianity as Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. Here we're saying we can celebrate the Christianity of others lived out in their local culture. We often have missionaries that come with pictures and videos and stories about how the gospel has gone forth in, in foreign lands, and we celebrate that as we should. And we can, we can celebrate those missionary endeavors, but we can also celebrate the, the, the worshipful endeavors of churches within our own nation. We differ here in the north and the south and the west. They're different, and it's okay. We can celebrate the Christianity of others lived out in our local church. This is trying to bring it home a little bit more to our, our context as Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. As I asked earlier, have you ever felt yourself kind of, you know, smothered to where you couldn't express yourself the way you have expressed yourself in other times uh, in, 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 um, in your worship and in your faith? And some people have kind of just squashed you for whatever reason. I, I just use that as an example. And and, and so I'm, I'm using it from the example of legitimate expressions of worship, right? But we can celebrate the Christianity of others right here, right now. As people from across the globe come to visit the area, maybe because they're attached to Boston or Manchester or something, and they, they come in dressed differently, they come in and they, they raise their hands in worship, and, and we can sit there and we can celebrate these things in our church right now. I have been involved, I have heard a couple times, this is, this is in my life of ministry now, where I've had a person say, oh, I went to such such a church, and, and oh, the Spirit of God was there. And the way it came across was, like it's not in your church, pastor. Right? They didn't say it. I felt it. I felt like, ouch. Right? Am I guilty? of not celebrating the Christianity of others? Am I somehow squashing that? Folks, listen, that is never something I ever want to hear again. I want you to enjoy your faith in Christ and live it freely as he intended you to to live it. And if we do things around here that somehow feel like we're squashing, we may not be squashing. We We may just not understand how to celebrate it yet. Come talk to us. Help us understand what it is that we are doing within our cultural context and the way we have practiced. And, you know, there's just a, uh, there just needs to be a better understanding of how to do this because I believe a healthy church does this. We get to celebrate the Christianity of others lived out in our local church. We can celebrate aspects of our culture in our local church. So uh, we are able to uh, enjoy Uh, All the things I've already mentioned. But what about other aspects of our culture? I don't really want to hijack my own sermon by bringing up music. 
But it is the one that kind of faces, that kind of hits us between the eyes on a regular basis. It's the one I hear most about. And so as I bring up this idea of music and worship and in living out our faith, I'm not going to be exhaustive here, but I will say this. Remember what we're talking about. The church is called to engage with the world's cultures for God's glory. So since it's for that, we're, we're not participating in sin, and music isn't sinful. At least the music that we're talking about when we're talking about worship and all that, it's not sinful. But we have to be careful, no matter what end of the spectrum or where you are in the middle, we cannot rule out engaging, uh, uh, we can also rule out engaging with the world's culture to glorify God by only satisfying our own desires. So if your desire is to have music in here because that's what your desire is, a different kind of music or the same music, I'm kind of, with the spectrum, hymns of ancient origin only, right? I'm, talking, I'm going way back, right? To the most contemporary song that was written this morning, right? If that's what you want, listen, all we're saying as we come here is that we can celebrate aspects of our culture in our local church. We can, we can actually enjoy within that spectrum, but it cannot be based upon your personal preference. It cannot be based upon what you like. We are called, what did I just say? To celebrate the Christianity of others lived out in our local church. Help us do that. Help us do that as we walk down this road. All right. So I wanted to just remind you as we as we close, uh, just checking the time here. As we close, just two two sections of scripture, one very short, one a little longer. Right? Matthew five sixteen is the one we have engaged in over and over again. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is living out our faith in our cultural context. That's it's right there for us to yes, we're shining our light where. Before unbelievers, and believers probably, that they may see your good works, the things that we're doing. They're watching us. They're living out as we practice the one another's of Scripture. They're watching us. As we esteem others better than ourselves, they're watching us. As we seek to love them sacrificially, as we love our husbands, as we love our wife sacrificially. Wives, as we respect our husbands, we just had a beautiful wedding yesterday, and the Grants and the uh, Stillmans are celebrating Stillmans, I'm sure, today. A uh, beautiful wedding. But listen, we're able to, the, the world's watching us, and they get to see our good works and see our faith, our Christianity, and they glorify our Father in heaven. They say, I want that, or aren't, isn't that wonderful, how, how worshipful they are, or how they're living out their faith. But let's consider this text. It's a longer one. It's out of Luke chapter 12. And this is uh, where I got the, uh, the idea, the main idea that there is this unity that allows us to live out our faith as, as citizens of the kingdom. Uh, this is, uh, the sister passage to this would have been Matthew uh, 5 um, uh, as well. But it says, Then he said to his disciples, Jesus is speaking, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor the body, what you will put on. Food and clothing are cultural manifestations, right? I've been to other countries, and there's food placed before me where I'm like not sure exactly what it is, but I have to eat it, right? You have to do it. Uh, I have seen clothing that is like, that looks uncomfortable, that looks hot, whatever, you know? 
This is, he says, I say, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Of which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? If you can't do those things, why are you stressed? God's already meeting your needs. Don't be anxious. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need uh, these things. Notice this, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Listen, as we talk about living out our faith in our cultural context and, and engaging with culture, how do we know how to engage? We must seek the kingdom of God first. The clothing, the food, the different things that we're worried about. Listen, the things that we need, God knows what we need. But let's seek the kingdom of God first. And notice, these things shall be added to you. It's not that those things are evil and bad and stay away. It's like, no, they're fine and good in their place. Trust the God who provides. Trust the God who has saved you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure this morning? Where's my treasure this morning? This is, this is us as Christians living out our faith. And Paul is just trying to convey, and Luke's trying to convey to us, and Jesus is trying to convey to us very clearly, our treasures need to be anchored in heaven. We need to be focused on the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, and live out to his glory. And he is going to enable us to do that, but it's going to look different depending on where the, what the cultural context is or what your background may have been. But we are called to continue to strive to worship God to his glory. So no other gospel unites God's children to live as citizens of the kingdom. If you're a citizen of the kingdom today, you are free and you are able to live your faith out the way God intended to, to his glory. So let's check ourselves as we come to worship. Let's check ourselves as we walk out the door. Let's check ourselves as we wake up in the morning and say, what's my, what's my motivation for the day? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else that you need will be added. God's, God will take care of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had to be in your word today. It is a beautiful thing to be a Christian. It is a beautiful thing to be able to come to worship. It is a beautiful thing to celebrate the worship and the, and the, 
practice of Christianity in others. Lord, give us discerning minds to consider what we see in others. And Lord, give us compassionate and grace-filled hearts to allow what ought to be allowed, Father. Surely we know there are false teachers. Fully we know that there are, are wolves and sheep's clothing in the church, but not the people that we have been worshiping with for years. And we know their testimony of faith. We know how they've lived out. Father, help us to appreciate what you're doing in each life as we seek to, to appreciate what you're doing in ours. Lord, we, may we take joy in our salvation when we know the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit in our life and in the life of others. And Lord, as we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, may we have unity within our diversity and may we celebrate the diversity of life experiences celebrate the diversity of the circumstances that led to to our genuine salvation. Lord, help us to celebrate the differences even in our worship when it is worship that you will receive. Father, we praise you and we thank you and we pray that you'd use this church to minister the gospel into the lives of those within our community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.